First Corinthians chapter five. Thank you for being in church. Glad y'all made it tonight. First Corinthians chapter five. This is the sixth message in our series entitled Corinthians, Bible Truths for Today. Um, there were three messages in Corinthians before we actually started the series out. There were three messages in Corinthians in the month of July. And then uh, August 10th was the first actually in this series. The first one was meeting the Corinthians. Meet, or excuse me, it was uh, meeting the Corinthians, meeting ourselves. That was August 10th. And since then, we've had a faith that will stand. One of the messages out of the book of Corinthians. Why still babies? That was 1 Corinthians 3. The nature and purpose of the foundation and then a biblical understanding of apostles and ministers. That's what we've done so far. And um, tonight, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 5 as I took you there. Our main emphasis, and what I believe to be the core chapter, are going to be verses 6 through 8. I hope you have your Bibles ready to check them, read them, look at them. But before we begin, I want you to... I'm going to read to you, and there's a little danger in doing that, especially on Wednesday night, but I think I can do it because it's very important to me to get it across. I think I can do it without being flat or dull with it. Um, but I want to read to you a well-thought-out statement about this chapter because it's, it's an amazing chapter. In fact, we went on a little bit of a pause, partially because there were a couple of messages I really felt it was timely. I need to preach them at that time. Another one was, I looked at it, I had a message ready for 1 Corinthians 5, but it was the kind of thing where I felt like, okay, I'm not getting the fullness of exactly how this fits together yet. It's, it's not a complicated chapter, but as, as I waited and studied more and studied more on it, then I'm like, oh, okay, there's what I'm supposed to be doing with it. And so I want to I wanna give you something that well thought through on this to kind of get us started on it. So I hope you'll purposefully listen with it so you can get it. The title, by the way, tonight is keeping the feast. And it deals with that in verses 6 through 8 in this chapter here. And we're going to get completely into the chapter. But let me give you some things just as I've written them here. Um, as Bible believers, it's important to us that we are pleasing to God and that we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ properly. When someone we care for who is a believer decides to flagrantly disobey God's teachings, it complicates and limits our relationship with that person. Handling such a relationship in a way that's pleasing to God and proper toward that person takes a great deal of wisdom and spiritual guidance from the Scripture in order to do it. Part of the struggle that I've observed that a good number of believers have faced in this is knowing how to respond in a godly manner to the sinful behavior of others. And part of the problem they face in that it's from the misuse of a particular word. That word is the word shun. S-H-U-N. We had it in our song tonight. Shun evil companions. The idea of stay away from things that are going to corrupt you. I certainly did not encounter, encounter the word shun or hear of shunning for the first time when we came to Lancaster. However, it does seem to me that more people are aware of that word and that phraseology, are aware of it and have strong and varied, often directly opposite, opinions about it. 
in this geographical area than in most where I've been around. And it's something that's known. It's probably partially due to historically strong influences such groups as the Amish, the Mennonite, Pilgrim Holiness, Wesleyan, and certain branches of Church of Christ and Assemblies of God. And that's not for me taking a poke at any of those groups, but there's certain things that they teach which are mixed in the religious culture of our area. Like so many beliefs and teachings that cause controversy and are so misunderstood, a good portion of the problem lies in trying to build a belief or practice on a non-biblical term. Twice within the last four weeks, I've had members of this church talking about interaction with a person or persons, they weren't talking about the same ones, about the subject of shunning. They seemed unsure of what to tell the person to whom they were speaking and also to be themselves at a bit of a loss to understand what shunning is or is not and its place, if any, in a, in a biblically obedient life. They're trying to figure it out. Now this is interesting. There are only two verses in the Bible that deal with any form of the word shun. Two. Now if there's one verse that deals with something that's important, but I want you to see something. I'm going to show you two verses and it's going to deal with the entire thing that the Bible has to say about it. Oh, by the way, if you're, if you're scholastically inclined, the root word from which shun and, and, uh, shunny, uh, and shunneth is, that come from those two words, the root word is only translated one other way. And that's the word avoid. And it has to do with avoiding Strange doctrine and strifes about words. It comes from the book of Titus. But where the word shun and the word shunneth are used, you ready for them? We're going to come back here to Corinthians. You're going to see why I'm making an issue of this because the heart of this chapter are in verses 6 through 8. And verses 1 through 5 deal with how do we interact with people who claim to be Christian people, indeed may be Christian people, but who are knowingly and willingly just disobeying the Bible and acting like everything's okay. And uh, the chapter starts with dealing with that. The chapter ends with dealing with that. And then the heart of what has to control and direct us is right there in the middle of the chapter and it has to do with keeping the feast. But let me show you these two verses. Look in the book of Acts. Turn with me please. Book of Acts. Acts chapter 20. By the way, my niece that was here with me, I mentioned it in our Sunday school class. I felt it was going to make her a little uncomfortable throughout the day if I brought it up again, so I didn't say anything publicly in the services. But she's facing two different types of cancer right now. She's been recently diagnosed. They just put a port in uh, for the beginning of chemo uh, the previous last week. And her request she had from my sister, she says, I don't know whether I'm going to get sick or not, and you don't. Of course, chemo is tends to be a whole lot more highly targeted than it used to be, but still you never know. People react greatly differently to it. And uh, she told my sister, she, uh, she called me, I'm Uncle Phil to her. That's you know, been that way ever since she's been born because I'm her uncle. And uh, anyway, she, uh, she said, I want to, while I'm still well, before I might get sick, she said, I want to go to Uncle Phil's church again. And so it meant a lot to her to be here. Appreciate it. She made the comment to my sister on the drive home. You know, she fired her phone off twice by accident. And what was so hilarious about it Sunday night 
what she did, she touched the part of the app, her Bible app, that reads it out loud. She'd done that in the morning, and she just, she terrified you. And uh, then she did it again that night, and what was absolutely hilarious, it started reading exactly where I was reading. And so we had it going and, and, and doing that. And she just looked down. It was so funny. She was like, oh, kid. She's like, oh, no, I'm in trouble. And she looked up at me like, what's he going to do? And uh, she said to my sister, though, uh, you all made an impression on her, she said, you know, she said, nobody was annoyed at me. She says, I sure didn't mean to do that. She goes, they all laughed. They were all good. She goes, nobody was mean. Nobody was annoyed. And so I appreciate and I commend you for that. I'm glad your, your response was that way. And I said, tell her our church is about half goofy. So we're used to stuff around here for sure. But anyway, Acts chapter 20, back to this thing of shunning. So please shun your app if it makes noise. Um, Acts 20, look in verse 27. Now, two, two places the word shun shows up. Paul speaking to the believers said, For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. The idea of shun is to back away from something, to go away from it. And one verse in the Bible deals with the apostles saying he had not shunned to declare unto them the whole counsel of God. In other words, your first thing that shows up in the Bible about shunning is we should never shun our duty to be truthful about the Word of God and be forthright about the Word of God. So that's that's first one. Okay, second time it shows up is in 2 Timothy. If you'll go, go past Corinthians and over towards 1 and 2 Timothy, let me show you this. 2 Timothy in chapter 2 is where we're going. We'll begin in verse 15. Nate was part of our mowing crew not too long ago. They were out here getting the place all... Touched up good. I appreciate it. 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, it says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun, what did we shun? Profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And then it talks how it's like a cancer and how this works. And so the two things of shunning, we're not supposed to shun our duty and what we're supposed to do to get the gospel out. And we're not, we are to shun vain and profane babblings, things which would act like a cancer in our soul and in the soul of others, and we're supposed to behave ourselves properly in these areas. Now, why I make an issue of the fact that uh, people say, well, what do you believe about shunning? Why do you believe about this? Why do you believe about that? And some of y'all have been around groups that are greatly affected by that. Part of you, if you're in the Bible much, you understand the Bible does teach a stepping back and separating from people who have set themselves to do wrong. But what is the biblical guidance on how to do this? We're not going to get all the way into this tonight, but I will tell you one of the guiding things is, is even when we have to be strong about this, and we should always be strong towards the Lord about stuff, but even when we have to be strong about it, it says even when we have to do that, we should not treat or count that person as an enemy. That's the biblical terminology. But we're to admonish them as a brother. That comes down to how we go about it. That goes down to the heart of the matter. What's the heart of it? Are we, are we just trying to make them come in line? Or do we really believe that the wrong behavior is a disgrace to the name of Christ and is dangerous to that person? If we would ever have our hearts be like the heart of our Lord, where we realize that sin destroys people. And let that cause us to be strong. Let that cause us to be clear. 
Let that cause us not to compromise in our message. Then God can work through that because that matches what He's like. And so God help us to do it. And so those are the two times that's used. Now, the message tonight, dealing with keeping the feast, and in chapter 5, let's go back to 1 Corinthians and we'll get all into it here. In chapter 5, see people are trying to come to terms in a biblical manner Namely with this, how are we to respond? How are you and I? If you're interested in obeying the Bible, if you want to have the Bible over you, over your life, if you want to be submissive to this book, then how do we respond to brothers or sisters in the faith who are living in open, flagrant, unconfessed sin? They know they are. It's known about them but they're just persisting. They're going to go ahead anyway. Unashamed. It's in your face thing. Occasionally we'll have people who get into one thing or another that were part of the congregation and they'll come and they do things that are just flagrantly in your face. I'll have them do it to me sometimes. They'll come in, you know, in a way they know is just totally against everything they've ever been done. Just it's in your face. So you've got to put up with me. And you say, what do you do at a time like that? I just keep doing what I'm doing. Lord can take care of that. You know, someone wants to act like, you know, show themselves to be foolish and a fool. That's their business to do it, I guess. And God knows. Um, but uh, how, do, how do we respond? How do we deal with it? What, what does the Bible say about it? You say, well, this group I know does this, and that group I know does that. And you got people on both sides of it. One says, well, for no reason at all, how are you going to win them back if you don't go with them, man? They're having a party. Go with them. That one person was talking about saying, go sit down down with them in their dope party so you could reach them. (laughs) That's wonderful. And then you have the other side is, don't even talk to them. You don't even see them. them. They cross the street from you. Turn their back on them. I mean, it's amazing how, how harsh and rude it gets. I think we can already tell by how blatant both those things sound when they're actually spoken aloud from the pulpit. I think we can both see that that kind of nonsense on either side is just what it is. It's nonsense. So what does the Bible teach about it? What are we, what are we responsible for? I'm getting more and more afraid of the Lord. I'm getting more and more fearful to do anything except give you exactly what the Bible says. I mean... Always when I start preaching, I mean, I just have a gear that goes, I forget you're out there. Every now and then, halfway through a message, I'll think, man, I just punched somebody when I went past them. I don't even think about them. You know, I'm just preaching. You know, go at it. Um, when I prepare the message, I've, you know, there are times you say, oh, Lord, that's, that's going to that's going hit hard. Well, you're supposed to preach on it. All right, well, we'll go on. Well, I'm at a point where that's not even in my mind anymore. It's just, God, i got to get this right. I got to get this right. I got to get it out there. It's got to be right. It's got to be proper. And God will take care of that. And uh, over, you watch. I mean, go ahead. You watch. Your people are going to grow. Some people are going to get offended. Some people are going to uh, first react and then see and get things right. Some people are going to be converted. Because the word of God, it's it's a two-edged sword. See it, it cuts and it takes care of things. So let's look at what it says. 1 Corinthians 5, um, basically verses 1 through 5 and then 9 through 13 deal with the subject of how do we deal with the brothers. The context in the center of the chapters, verses 6 through 8, deals with keeping the feast. Now, from here on, I'm going to go out and I'm trying to stay in order with what I was going to teach you because it's, it will make sense this way. 
I'm going to teach you the chapter in three natural sections it falls into. Section 1 is verses 1 through 5. It naturally drops right into them. Section 2 is verses 6 through 8. Section 3 is 9 through 13. Look in uh, section 1, verses 1 through 5, and we're going to learn about this, and then we're going to see how this, what, what does this have to do? It almost seems like that middle almost changes gears on you, but it doesn't. Look, at, look in verse 1, all right? 1 Corinthians 5 and uh, verse 1. It is reported how? This is something that's so obvious it's known. It's not just somebody flitting around, you know, being a backbiter. It's not somebody flitting around being a busybody in other people's matters, which you can do in person. You can do through media and through social media. And you can do without any of those just by putting yourself too far into what somebody else is. You can be a busybody. And so it's reported commonly. Everybody knew this. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. Um, physically intimate relationships are for marriage and only for marriage. Period. And that's it. There be more amen than that in a Baptist church on a Wednesday night when the preacher tells the truth. There is fornication among you and such fornication is not so much as named among the Gentiles. He said... You guys are bad going on there, and it's worse than the world outside of you. And they're in Corinth, which is a pretty messed up town. It's not once named among the Gentiles that are among you that one should have his father's wife. He said, This is just totally messed up situation. You know, I've been pastoring a long time. And just about the time I think I've seen and heard everything, someone takes it as their personal duty to make me realize I haven't. He says, and you're puffed up. They're proud of the fact that this is being tolerated. It shows they're open-minded. They think it shows they have a Christ-like spirit. It doesn't. You're puffed up and have not rather mourned. I thought a long time on that when I was studying for this and just thinking for my own self and where my heart is on it and, and uh, the lack I see in myself on it, to actually let the transgression of others cause me to mourn and to be sad about it because of what it's doing to them, what it will do to them. How many of you think that you probably, and I don't want you to raise your hand on this, but how many of you think you could probably, some cord of compassion could be stirred within you if someone you knew or maybe someone you saw at church, I'll give you an example. I mentioned, mentioned my, uh, my niece Leslie tonight. And, and within many of you, when I mentioned that what diagnosis and what she's facing right now, many of you, there was that look. There was, oh my. Oh, she's going through it. But we're not sensitive to that when it comes to people who are in just as grave a danger. When they're careless and sloppy with sin. And the wages of sin, my friends, is death. It is. Say, so, well, I know somebody, they're living wild and they seem to be doing great. They got good money, they're healthy, blah, blah, blah. And it's not payday yet. In fact, one of the tools the devil uses is the prosperity of fools. 
Because the prosperity of fools causes other people to follow their foolish way. Because they say, hey, look at them, they're making it okay. Yeah. I guess I'm almost officially, well, no, I can't be an old guy because that goes to 59 this month. That's right, I, I won't be there. My, my sister, who is 62, really loved knowing that. Um, <clears throat> but if I told you all who the popular singers, I mean, other than some bands and stuff, which have been known for decades, but if I told you who the popular people were and, and you know, and, and, and different things, when I was a teenager and when I was, you know, along that age and older teens, Many, many of you, I'm, I'm talking 30, 40 year olds, some of you wouldn't know. It's like, I've heard of them. I heard of them once, you know, something there. Well, they were it. Especially the Christian ones, you know, the Christian ones who are living just as hellish as anybody else, singing everything that's as hellish as anybody else. Now they just call it Christian music. And they doing all that stuff. And, and uh, but no, they got, boy, they're trying to live it, you know. After the third time through rehab, and they're all messed up, and they're just gone now. They're just wasted. They're gone. There's, you know, just choose them. Spits them out. And then a new group comes in. Oh, these people, boy, they got it. Look at that. They're driving this and they're doing that. Yeah, you ever seen them? By the time they're about thirty-five or forty, it's rough. It's bad. God doesn't want that for His people, but they were puffed up. They were pride, prideful of this. For you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. He said your reputation is being destroyed. Your church reputation is being destroyed. And he says you've not sought God on this. Now, uh, I'm going to read you these verses. I take them for what they say. If you ask me afterwards, explain those exactly to me. I'm going to look at you and with a deep spiritual voice, I'm going to say, mm -mm, I don't know. But here they are. Maybe you'll get more light on it than I have, but here it is. You ready? Verse 3, I understand it's an apostle talking, which is different than any of us. If somebody comes up to you and tells you they're an apostle, get away from them. They're, they don't even know what that is. They're messed up. They're probably messing with a bad spirit. Look in verse 3. For I verily, as, an, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. I'll tell you the only thing I can get out of it that I know for sure I can say on it. And that's this. He said when somebody's that messed up, there has to something come into their life to take that flesh and bring it into subjection, take that flesh and keep it from running wild because that flesh has to be brought under subjection or it's going to destroy them completely. That's what I know for sure. So what about all the other detail of it? There's what it says. <laughs> and I don't... Uh, so doesn't it bother you to say you don't know something about a verse? It bothered me worse to listen to somebody who thought they knew what every verse was. Because at some point they're messing with you. <laughs> Or they just read somebody's commentary. And by the way, I'm at a point in the ministry when I find a verse I'm having trouble with and I'll look and compare verses and I'll think, well, I wonder what old Matthew Henry might said about that. And I'll go over and check one of these commentaries. They skip those same verses I'm having trouble with. <laughs> I'm like, what's the deal with that? Huh? 
so it deals with someone and it says what we learned in this first part, this first section, is that we should mourn, that we should allow our hearts to be touched by the fact that there are people being destroyed by sin. What we should learn is that sin that is commonly known and is reported commonly and people you know, are proud about it and everything else, now they'll put it, you know, we live in the day of, uh, of all the social media, people just put it right out there and put themselves out there, you know, they put all their uh, sleazy dressing and, and wicked living just out there for everybody to see. And uh, they just throw it out there. I have no modesty, no shame about it. Throw it out there. You said you're talking about me? I don't go on the stuff. I won't swim in it. So if you're getting poked, it's not from me. Pay attention to the poking. And so what happens is, this goes on. What is our response? Let's, let's look down. We're going to come back to these other verses. But look at verse 9. He says, I wrote unto you in an epistle. Now, epistle is a letter that was written. That was not a... Uh, that was not a letter that was part of the canon of Scripture. It was not preserved. It was not kept. Not every word that an apostle said was kept. Not every word that an apostle said was the Word of God. I mean, they talked like humans too, but they were given the Word of God to transcribe it and to give it out. You say, how do we know what's the Word of God? Well, there's a, only this has survived over the 2,000 years. It's pretty easy to tell at this point in history. <laughs> The invitations don't hold up real well. And uh, he says there, he says, I wrote unto you an epistle not to company with. Ah. Do you remember the word I told you that gets people in trouble trying to understand this? What's the word that they build the doctrine out of? It's shun. Okay? Watch this. The term that's used, and this, this matches throughout other places in the Bible where this is dealt with, I wrote unto you an epistle not to company with fornicators. Company with. Okay, what's, it, what's that talking about? That's talking about those are the people you choose to run around with. Those are the people you seek out for fellowship. Do you understand what the word communion is? You think the communion may only think of taking the Lord's Supper, but it's a word that's used throughout the Bible. Do you know what communion is? Communion it means you have come together in a point of agreement. We have a point of common agreement. It's kind of fun now when I'll occasionally send a verse to my brother or something, he'll comment back on it or something like that. Because in many years there was always no, although I love my brother, there was no point of communion. His world and my world just did not hardly overlap at all. We'd get together, we got, to, we got along fine, we got up with another, but his, what he thought, where he was, where I just totally different things. You said, that's because you're a preacher. No, it's been that way ever since I got saved. There's something different about it. You know? I, I, anyway, I, I'm going to go too far astray if I go there. The, the idea of companying with is the idea of those you purposely seek out for your companionship. How many of you have heard it's an old saying? It was an old saying when I was young, so it's a real old saying. How many of you know the saying, birds of a feather? Yeah, okay. I mean, young people know that. You know? All right. See, I thought so. I thought we had, You're not a young people, Trey. What's a hand going up for? 
Yeah, so look, to, look to your right at the, the little muchachos here. I hear among the adults now, right? And uh, no, she doesn't count just because she's short. I thought about the other time. But I told you we had, I told you we have a smarter brand of young people than the average here. Um, but the idea, uh, the birds of a feather, what does it mean? They seek out their own kind is what it means. This is the concept. Who do you decide to company with? Who do you want fellowship with? I'm not talking about who's someone you can meet casually, somebody you work with, somebody you know around town. They have a pleasant uh, uh, personality. You can talk with them. You can, you can enjoy. Uh, some of you have been with me in different public places. Almost anywhere I go, I'll have multiple people that I'm talking to, establish a relationship, and, and that sort of thing with it, but not company with. When I was... In Houston, Texas, there was just had just turned 18. We're down there on just turned 18. It was a Bible college back in those days. We're talking about this uh, last night, a young couple. And uh, it, it was, you know, back in those days, you called home maybe once a week if you could get a payphone over, and you had to change for it. In other words, when you moved 1,250 miles away from home, you were called on your own, sink, swim, or die. Nobody to help you. Writing letters; those are things on paper. Writing in cursive, and that's not bad language. That's fancy writing. <laughs> Things called stamps. Anyway, <laughs> I speak an ancient language. And <laughs> we were down there, and uh, at the uh, Sutherland Club where I worked at, we've got small ones here. This is a huge place. Fellas, we'd work together. We had some guys working there. We could enjoy each other. Had a decent working relationship with most of the guys there. But they would get together and say, hey, after work's done, they're going drinking. After work's done, they're going down to whatever bar to see whatever they were showing and all kinds of nonsense. Lots of trouble to get into and use it. And uh, you know what? I didn't company with them. But that's mainly the unsaved. Look what it says. It makes a distinction. So he said he had written in an epistle. He said, I've already given you some instruction on this. Not to company with fornicators. Then look at verse 10. Yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then must you needs go out of the world. Do you understand what he's saying to you there? He said, in other words, I didn't tell you, don't talk to anybody. Oh, they're not just like us. They don't have like I can't talk to them. He said, you have to leave the world. God's commanded, not just called us, but commanded us to be salt and to be light, which means we have to interact with the world around us. There's a thing called monasticism. It's the idea, it's, it's a very, very old thing where your monasteries came from, your convents and stuff like that. Bad teaching, and when, when the teaching of it is that to be holy, you would separate yourself away from the world, and literally they would live a cloistered life. In other words, where they would just be away, so-called married to the church, and I won't even go into all the nonsense of that. But then what they would do is they would separate yourself away to be holy. How would you like to spend your whole life separated away, a little place to be holy, and then stand before God and Him say, what were you doing? I was saying in Scripture, did you read the verses about go ye therefore into all the world? How about loving your neighbors yourself? How can you do that when He's on the other side of the 12-foot wall? 
And so that extreme of monasticism, that idea of this thing of separation of, oh, it's isolation. It's not separation. It's isolation. You see it all the time. You'll see it. People don't want anybody else to influence their children. I'm not talking about just letting anybody influence them. Every now and then we'll have a family visit. It's been a long while since we've had them. And they come in and all have went. And everybody's going to stay together. Their kid can't go to Sunday school class. And they can't do this. Why? Because they got to keep, and it's always mama's got to keep her little brood together. Sorry, ladies. I don't pick on you. You know it. But I've never seen a daddy hen yet. It's mama who does this. And it's always a mama that ain't got enough of a rooster to make her quit. And they come in. They do it. You can see it when they come in. I tell you, you know what I'm talking about. I tell you, because they walk in like this. They do this. Literally. And I'm thinking, huh, I can think of better ways to be in prison than that. Now, the other side of it is people, I'm glad we get to get the gospel to the kids. They send their kids on our bus and don't even know where our church is. Don't know who we are. You'll pick up the kids. Sure, they come. And I'm going, huh. <laughs> that's not good either. So what God says to through the Bible, He says, I wrote you not to company with, let's use Bible terminology, fornicators, yet not altogether the fornicators of this world. Yeah. Or you got to go out of the world. Well, I <laughs> some of you are old enough, you've been around groups like we were. We used to have a kind of some groups in Western Ohio. Their bragging right for spirituality was they would not go to a grocery store that sold liquor. If a grocery store sold liquor, they wouldn't go there. When's the last time you ran into one of those? You won't. They either starved to death and kept their convictions. Because <laughs> there used to be a lot of them didn't sell it. But they didn't do it. I remember one getting up crowing about and said, I'll drive 35 miles just to get my groceries so I won't be in a place dangerous with that. What they do in every single place, you know? They're selling little whiskey things. How intelligent is this? And gas stations by the pump, you know? And there's Bubba out there snorting about four of those down and driving off. <laughs> that makes you glad for airbags. And so, let's look at the rest of this. It takes a lot to get from Corinthians to Bubba and airbags, I'm promising. <laughs> I'm going to try to get back on track here. Verse 11. Now that's the fornicators of this world. And that's the kind of thing with that. But now I have written unto you, verse 11, not to keep company if any man that is called a what? Brother. So there's a distinction. The man has a reputation. He has a name to be a Christian. If a man be a brother... Be a fornicator or covetousness or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner. He says, this man is known as that. Wherever you go in town, you know about him? Oh, he goes to your church. That one does? Man, he's always down here. You ought to see him on Friday night. He can flat tear up a bar. He down here. That good part of your church? Look what he says about that. That's a different animal. It's a different thing going on. He says, uh, if he, do, if he does these things, if such a one, no, not to eat. Does that mean if there's a church, and I'm going to give you what I believe the Bible teaches about it. Now, don't me if I'm wrong on it, but I believe it's what the Bible teaches. And I've done a study throughout where it's talking about this stuff. If you're having a church dinner back here, and you got the table set out, and the person you know has got some problems going on, and they sit down, are you supposed to get up and leave and go to another table? 
I don't believe it matches what the chapter's saying. Remember the key what the chapter's saying. Company with who you choose to run with. You, you, you keep running with Christians who think it's okay and funny and cool and everything else to take obvious Scripture, disregard it, live in open sin doing whatever they want, and you will not long hold your strong biblical belief. You have already said, well, I think I can do it without compromising. When you started running with that and choosing that for your influence, you already took a step of compromise. So what does it mean? I'm not accompanying with. We're having a church fellowship. They come in and sit down. And they're, they're eating something. I can look at them and say, how's your health been? Still working? Your job going all right? I can talk to them. Hey, you want to go around? You want to meet up? You want to do that? No. No. Hey, I just I need to talk to you. Can we get together for about an hour? I just need to talk to you about something. Lord's working on something in my heart. I've got all day long to make y'all sit down. Do you understand the scriptural wisdom of this thing? What's the purpose? Is the purpose you're doing something or just company with you? Running with them. Hanging out. Those who hang out get hung. It's <laughs> the way it works. Alright? Let's look, look at the rest of what it says. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? He said, I don't have anything to do with that. That's, that's the lost world. They don't act like the lost world. They're lost. Do not ye judge them that are within, but them that are without, God judges. Therefore put away from among yourselves that weak person. How do you do that? You should say, yeah, I'm going around with that. Hey, go down over here. And if you go in the car with them, it's going to be filled. And where you go, it's going to be filled. Bible College in Houston. I took some guys. We went down. We got our money together. We went down to Pizza Hut. One of the old boys on the list. Man, I didn't know anything about it. We got down there. And we're all ordering, getting ready to go. He started to order up booze and everything. I looked at him and I said, uh, I've got a question for you. In my car. my car. He said, what's that? I said, how are you getting back to campus? <laughs> he goes, what do you mean? I said, well, you drink that if you want, but you go with me. We don't do that in my car. You say, well, it's his right. No, it's my right not to take it. See, that wasn't very nice of you. I'm trying to please the Lord. He goes, okay then. Ordered pop or something like that. Okay then. Took him with me. Got him back to campus. Hmm. Boy, I can tell you some stories about that pizza. Um, you know, God is so gracious to watch over us when we're young and idiots. You know what He's even more gracious about when we become old idiots? Because <laughs> we've got more practice at it by then. <laughs> we, need, we definitely need His help. I don't know about you all. I'm grateful that He's kind to me. I just, I really am. I hope He's that kind to other people. He's been mighty kind to me. Look, let's look back at 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6. Now let's look at this thing about the uh, keeping the feast. And I, I got so excited about a word in here. I've always thought it was kind of funny the way it's written. I'm not being irreverent towards the word of God, but it's to me it's a funny choice of word. And then it was, it was like, Lord said, look at why it's in there. And I'm like, oh my goodness, that's good. Um, look at verse six. It says, for your glorying is not good. They were glorying about this fellow. You know, hey, we're tolerant of him, whatever. They say, your glorying is not good. That's not good at all. 
Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? We know it. It's still called leavening, but what do you generally know it as in cooking? What is leaven? What is it? Yeast. How many of you in here cook? Or you cook your bacon? I don't. I raise my hand to you know agree with it. Huh? Do you put in a whole big bunch of that? <laughs> you look like that. It would be just yeast rule that grow up. You'd look like one then. So you put a little bit in. What does it do? It goes throughout, right? The whole thing. What the Bible's teaching us is when we let in sin, when we let in and we endorse or we tolerate and give tacit endorsement, which means we don't verbally say it's okay, although Christian people are getting worse about that, I'd like to do the like and thumbs up. All kinds of weirdness, perversion, filthy stuff. I like it. What are you doing? Like You're agreeing with that? Do you really want to stand for God to heaven? I agree with that? Sure. You're going to. You're going to, and you will at least once hurt somebody who loved you enough to tell you it's going to happen. And so what happens is, they said your glorying's not good. You shouldn't be excited about this going on. You shouldn't think this is wonderful. And look what happens. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Do you let that in? It permeates. It becomes a problem with that. Now the word lump is what used to catch my, my attention there. It, because it's interesting, look in verse 7, purge out, you take out the old leaven. And we need to do that in our own lives. Those things in my life, I got time to be purging leaven out of your life. It's not my business to. That's your life. You know, none of us have a right to do wrong, but you do get to make the choices for your life. And trust me, one of the key hallmarks of Bible believing Christianity is something called soul liberty. This is important. It's one of the key hallmarks of true Baptist churches. It's called soul liberty. We do not presume to have the right to make a choice for you. We'll tell you the truth. We'll show you what the Bible says. We'll explain to you as clear as we can, but it is your choice what you do with That's what it ought to be. Now, look, look what happens. I'm not purging out. My job is not to purge out whatever 11 may be in Robin or, or, or Sister Olive or, or Brother Carson. Not at all. Trey, I'm not, that's not what I'm about. I'm supposed to be purging out, getting out the leaven that's in my own life, getting rid of it. What is it that's in my life that gets worse? What is it in my life that's a problem? It's a stench in the nostrils of God. That's, that's where my concentration needs to be. And so look what it says about it. It's pretty amazing. And, and here's what I thought was funny. Forgive my little strange sense of humor here. It mentioned a lump. That it leaveneth the whole lump in verse 6. Look at verse 7. Purge out therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lump. I've always thought that's kind of funny. A new lump. I say, you know. <laughs> I've, been, I, I've heard of a lot of Christian songs, but I've never heard one, praise God, I'm a new lump. I mean, <laughs> it just sounds funny, doesn't it? And then the Holy Spirit showed me this because I, I never want to be flippant with the Word of God. I, I, I look, my mind does these things, but I. I'm looking at that and I, okay, but I thought, okay, Lord, forgive me that my mind does that. Why that word lump? Well, what's it talking about here? Obviously, is something you're going to bake with, right? And it starts out as a lump. Here's the side note. Actually, bottom note. I put it down here in the bottom. And, and, and I, I got so excited. Every now and then I get kind of rowdy wherever I'm at in public when I find something. I put this down, acceptable raw material for the master to fashion as he will. 
That's why it's called lump. It isn't fashioned yet. What's it going to be? It's going to be a biscuit. It's going to be a pie crust. It's going to be a croissant. <laughs> what is it going to be? That's according to the master. So we purge out the old leaven. Why? So we can be a new lump. What is that? The new lump. Now we come in and say, I have to be this. I have to be that. No, it's just, Lord, take me and use me and make me what you will. I got pretty excited about that. You may not be as happy about it as I was, but I was happy enough for both of us. It's good. Then look what it says. Purge out, therefore, verse 7, the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. We'll show you what it's talking about. Not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of... It says, here's leavening in your life. Malice. What is that? Intention to hurt or damage someone. Are you trying to hurt somebody? Do you care about what you're doing to their faith? Their walk with God? Their integrity? Not with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread. What's the unleavened bread? It's, here's the ingredients. I like good bread. You're looking at the, I like good bread. Homemade bread and stuff. My wife, she got some of that baked. You walk in, oh my goodness, that smell. Awesome stuff. But what are the ingredients of the bread of unleavened bread that God wants us to have? Good bread. Here it is, of sincerity and truth. That's it. That's your two basic ingredients, sincerity and truth. Good stuff with that. And then it goes on down. Look back, if you will, and I'm going to take literally... Just about the next five minutes to explain something to you out of Exodus 12. Let's look at Exodus 12. And then I'll tell you what I do with the next five minutes when I get to them. Exodus chapter 12. You're not laughing. It must be Wednesday night. Okay. That's not funny, preacher. Exodus chapter 12. What's it referring to the feast? It's referring to the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover that all went together in the Bible. This is the first time that was held is, referred, is, is, is uh, shown here in Exodus chapter 12. What it's talking about there in 1 Corinthians 5 where it says, here's what you're supposed to avoid. Here's how you make your decisions about who you're accompanying with and, and who, you're, who you're choosing your close friends out of. It said it has to all pivot around something that happened in our lives and something that happened a lot of years ago, and that's called the Passover night. And on the Passover night, God's people, the Jewish people, were brought out of a very wicked, idolatrous nation called Egypt. They were slaves there. Wesley, if you were grown up as a Hebrew young man in Egypt, you would have no chance of any hope in your life. You would be doing whatever they had you doing, whether it be making bricks or helping build or whatever. You would be doing that, and that's all you would be doing. You had no chance of advancement. You didn't get to have a say in it. That's what you did from the time you were born to the time you died. That was your life. No hope, no change. And that went on 400 years. They were slaves. God didn't want His people then and does not want His people now to be slaves. 
That's why God nails sin so hard in the Bible because sin will enslave you. Starts out fun and pretty. Great. And so there was one night in which God brought out probably over a million and a half people with 600,000 men. It was probably well over a million and a half. 600,000 men, not counting women and children, that came out in one night. Population of Columbus plus outlying area all moving out one night by foot. That's hard to even comprehend. I know if they all started down this way, I'd, I'd head somewhere else and get out of the way if they were coming down there. By the way, that's what a lot of other nations did too. What in the world? Can you imagine going up on top of a hill, you're one of these Amorites or whatever, and you look out and as far as you can see, it's Jews heading in your direction. You see, I mean, make you nervous at least. And But this night, God did something. A nation was born in night. A peculiar nation for God, not like the other nations of the earth with different laws, with a different destiny, with a different God, with a different purpose. And they were supposed to live according to that. Let's look at it. Exodus chapter 12. I won't make a lot of comment as I go through, but let's look at the verses here. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a what, church? That's important to understand. Every man a lamb. It's individual in particular. According to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, in other words, they're going to eat this, so not enough of them there, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of their, the souls. Every man, according to his eating, shall make your count. Now, look, look at how it changes. For the Lamb. See that at the end of verse 4? The Lamb. Look how it changes in verse 5. Your Lamb. And all I'm going to say to you tonight about that is this. The Lamb, talking about Jesus, at some point needs to become your Lamb. The Lamb needs to become your Lamb. Your Lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year, you shall take it out from the sheep and from the goats. And you shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening, each, each one according to their group there. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper doorposts of the houses wherein they shall eat. So you have doorposts like this here. They're going to take the blood. By the way, they take something called a hyssop weed. They dip it in the blood. When Jesus Christ is on the cross, they take a hyssop weed and offer Him up the vinegar and such. They take this blood and they strike it here and they strike it here. Guess what form you make when you do this? Make the cross. You ever sang the song in this church with us? When I see the blood, I will pass over you. You ever wonder what that's about? Where we get the term Passover? What's it talking about? The Bible reveals it. Let's look at it here. So it says, they'll take the blood and put it in the house. They'll put it at the door. What's the door about? That's where you come in and where you go out. That's how you come in and go out. It's because of the blood of Christ. 
It says, and you shall take the blood and strike it on the two side posts, on the upper door post. I'm in verse 7 there. Of the houses wherein they shall eat. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread. And with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw. That sounds nasty. Nor sodden it all with water, but roast with fire the head and legs and with the pertinence thereof. And you shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning you shall burn with fire. And thus shall you eat it with your loins girded. That's what they would do pulling up the garments the men did in order to take off and go. Your shoes on your feet and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. You know what he's saying? Be in a hurry to get out of that worldly situation. Be in a hurry to get away from sin. Be in a hurry to get to the Lord. It's the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night. Can't, can't even hardly imagine this. And shall smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Of course, there had been thing after thing before this. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, in other words, you acted by faith and did what God said to do. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Hey, just talk to me here, man. Let's think. Do you suppose anybody... You suppose anybody, Brother Keith, that had blood on the door? You suppose there was anybody in that family member when they started hearing people? There wouldn't be glass windows and stuff. You got open windows and that. And they started hearing people crying out because their young ones are dead, crying out because this and that's happened. You suppose anybody in this house has got scared? You suppose anybody got nervous? Well, I wonder if he's going to pass over. We're going to pass over. You suppose anybody did that? Of that many people? Sure they did. Did it change the fact that he passed over? Not at all. You suppose there's anybody wondering? Well, I wonder if this is really accurate or not. In other words, you think there was anybody who had any doubt in their heart? I mean, let's be serious. These are people who've been slaves for 400 years. They're taking that blood and putting it there. You think they ever going to turn around and say, man, I hope that works. Oh my goodness. And they're looking at that firstborn child. Man, I hope that works. Nobody ever said anything like that before. Nobody ever seen that. I hope that works. Oh my goodness. You think everybody was nervous? Did it matter? What's the only thing that mattered? Tell me. Obedience and was the blood on the door. I've seen people strong in the faith, never doubt they're saved. I've seen people that needs are knocking all the time, not every second week they're wondering about it. But the only thing that matters is is the blood on the door. Is your faith in Christ? Has the blood been applied? That's all that matters. How you feel about it doesn't matter. How you think about it doesn't matter. If your memory works good enough, doesn't matter. What words you said doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is has the blood been applied? Have you believed on Christ? Look what he says. It goes down through here. Verse 13, in the middle of that again, when I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. So guess what would happen if they didn't put the blood on the door? They would suffer the same thing every Egyptian did. 
And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and you shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Seven days shall you eat unleavened bread. Even the first day you shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. And in the first day there shall be a holy convocation. You come together. And in the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation to you. No manner of work shall be done in them, save that which every man must eat, that only may he be done of you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for in this selfsame day, look at the phrasing, verse 17, what he is saying to, listen, these people can't even own their own stuff. They're not allowed to have weapons of any kind. That's always the hallmark somebody wants to enslave you. You're not allowed to have weapons of any kind. Look at it. Verse 17. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for in this selfsame day have I brought your, what's the word? Armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall you observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. Armies? What's that about? Well, where are they going? Where are they going? Where, where's he taking them? Canaan? Promised land? Guess what they're going to have to do when they get to the promised land? Fight. God's already calling them what they're going to become. Bring your armies out. They've just got whatever's on their backs. They've got their kneading troughs. They've got their backs. They're going out like this. They've got jewelry. The Egyptians gave them. That's all they got. They don't have swords. Bring your armies out. Armies? Armies? Yeah, you're my army now. You get to Canaan, you're going to find out you're an army. You get to where I want you to go, I'm going to make you into an army. Bring them out. God always will call you by what He wants to make you. That's an important thing to, to get in our hearts. So what is it? What does this have to do with how we deal with people who live in flagrant sin and how we interact with people and all that sort of thing? It's real simple. We keep our heart on that Passover plan. We keep our heart trying to keep the leaven out of our life. When somebody wants to go wandering off from the Lord and start doing whatever, hey man, you know, come on, welcome. I can't do that. Because I know about leaven. See, if I do that, I'm just my, my flesh is just as sorry as anybody else's. That's not just preaching talk. My flesh is just as sorry as anybody I'm looking at. Mine, just like yours. Man, I can't let that in. It'll just take off. I can't let it in. Oh man, there's music I used to get and that still feels good. I can't let that in. So that's teaching my soul's rebellion and perversion. I can't do that. Why? Because I'm a new lump for the Lord and I want the Master to make something. Man, I hope God helped you with something tonight. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your people. Thank You for the Word of God. Thank You for helping us to understand it. Lord, I pray that You'll help us to have discernment day by day. We want to be right by You in how we deal with others. But most of all, we want to be right by You with our love towards You. God, help us please to do that. May we grow up in our maturity. May we not be fleshly, sensually driven people, but God, people who want You. Help us, Lord. We need You. We really do. Lord, I pray that that'll be the cry of us, of our, our hearts toward you. Day in and day out, please. Let's stand together, please, with our heads bowed.
Take just a moment with me here. Don't be in a hurry tonight. Is the lamb your lamb? What I mean by that is, you may mentally say Jesus is the Savior, but is He your Savior? If you come to a point of realizing you have a need, 